0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Why do people expend their time and energy to spread hate? Can we do anything to stop the fear that fuels the hate? How can we build true community? Join us for today's message, Life Shared Together. Why do people extend their time or spend their time and energy on spreading hate? And can we do anything to stop the fear that fuels hate? And how, then, can we build true community? Well, join us a little later for our message, Life Shared Together.
1: This week's scripture reading <clears throat> comes out of two chapters in the book of Acts and then First John. Listen now to the word of God. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Continuing in Acts 10. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who had heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withstand the wa- withhold the water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And now in 1 John, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, So are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfective love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Last Thursday was a weird and stressful day. Now, on the good side, it was July 20th, and I normally love July 20th, because can any of you guess why July 20th, I would like that? No, no, that's a good guess. Christmas. Oh, yes, it's Christmas in July. It's the anniversary of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landing on the moon and taking those first human steps on another world, and it's now been 54 years since that historic day, and usually on July 20th there are all sorts of TV programs commemorating Apollo 11, which I never get tired of watching. But in the last few years, the months of June and July have also come to remind me of some other anniversaries, not unlike how the dates of December 7th or September 11th will never again just be dates on a calendar. Because you see, on June 17th, it was the eighth anniversary of the shooting at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, when a young white supremacist opened fire after a Bible study killing nine of the black church members who had just offered him their very warm hospitality. And I remember the year of the Mother Emanuel shooting because it was just over, a little over a year later on July 7th, when a young black man assassinated five white Dallas area police officers. So the pastor and the members of Mother Emanuel Church were murdered for no other reason than they were black. And the five police officers were murdered for no other reason then they were white. And both instances were heinously evil. And since they occurred just a year apart, they have remained linked in my mind. And I always think about both of them this time of year, and when I do spend much time thinking on it at all, I can find tears coming to my eyes, and it can conjure up a lot of emotion. Because of what happened this week, especially on Thursday, I decided to look back at the sermons that I delivered for the two Sundays following the tragedy of the police officer shootings. So I wanted to share again with you some of the thoughts and feelings that I had seven years ago. I can try to imagine, but I'm never gonna really know, what it's like to be either an African American or a law enforcement officer. I can only imagine just how vulnerable a person might feel in either instance. And I do know that while I have been very annoyed, I've never been afraid when a police car stopped me. Because I know that even if I inadvertently do something that makes the officer nervous or that looks suspicious, that is a middle-aged, white woman, I will be given every benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. On the other hand, unlike a law enforcement officer, I've never been afraid that when I go to work, this may be the day that I die in order to serve and to protect. Because I'm not in anyone's crosshairs. If I make a mistake at work as a bad pastor, what I may do is deliver a bad sermon or mismanage a ministry, or maybe, and this is the thing I hate to do the most, but I might accidentally hurt someone's feeling. But no one dies when I make a mistake. I don't die if I make a mistake. I can't imagine the pressure of having to make life or death decisions in a blink of an eye. And I can't imagine what it would be like every day to say goodbye to a parent or a spouse in the morning and not know if you're going to see them again that evening. But I also can't imagine what it's like to be a black mother or father who is terrified that their child will end up on the wrong end of a police altercation. Those are my thoughts seven years ago. This week, when I looked back at them, I realized that I might have to amend them, which brings me back to what happened this last Thursday. I was here in the office, and first of all, it was still on my mind what many of you told me Tuesday evening at our leadership board meeting, that there is a new church, and I do use that term very loosely, in Cedar Hill, only about three miles from here that advocates the execution of all LGBTQ people. And I'm not exaggerating. Their pastor is quoted as saying, they, meaning all LGBTQ people, they should be sentenced to death. They should be lined up against a wall and shot in the back of the head. So perhaps as an openly gay pastor at a church that's only three miles away, My job might be a little more dangerous now than I might have appreciated in the past. So I was already thinking of this new church in Cedar Hill when I received a communication that Thursday morning from a blogger who is notorious for trolling United Methodist LGBTQ clergy and being vehemently opposed to the United Methodist Church in general. His modus operandi is that he joins a local UMC church, agitates for disaffiliation, then right before they do disaffiliate, he transfers his membership to another UMC church and starts the agitation all over again in the next church. And in his communication, he asked me several very inappropriate and personal questions, and then requested a response from me. My first fear was that for some reason he had decided to single me out and to place me in his crosshairs because he has trolled other clergy quite badly. So I spent most of Thursday on the North Texas Reconciling Pastors text stream asking for advice and any further information they might have about this man. And by the end of the day, we learned that he had sent a communication to several LGBTQ UMC clergy across the nation who had recently, for whatever reason, been in the media. So I was actually rather relieved, very relieved, now to learn that I had not been singled out for abuse. But as I texted my colleagues, this also made me feel somehow less special. But in this case, I'll get over it. So on Thursday, July 20th, instead of a fun day nerding out on Apollo 11 documentaries, I spent the day contemplating violence and mass shootings and racism and homophobia. As I said, it was a very weird and stressful day. You know, sometimes it feels as if evil is winning the day, that violence has become uncontrollable and that no place is safe. While these events can be disconcerting, I do think this is a time when a knowledge of history can be very helpful, even reassuring. Because if we're familiar with history and we place our current times in a historical context, we can still realize that we are living still in a relatively peaceful and stable time. But regardless, our Christian faith Calls us to fight injustice and oppression in whatever forms they may present themselves. That's what we promise when we join the United Methodist Church in our vows of membership. So, in light of the evil that we find in this world, and now that has come to roost here in our own community, how can we fulfill our vow? How can we fight injustice and oppression? And in the end, how can we make a difference? Well, I think the first thing that we do is we pray. And some people will think the admonition to pray is just obvious. Others will question whether or not prayer is going to make any kind of real difference at all. You know, we may not understand all the ways that prayer works its way in the world, but we know that the one way that it does work is by awakening our own compassion, as well as creating a conduit through which God can speak to us and revealing to us ways that we can make a difference that perhaps we wouldn't have thought of on our own. Prayer leads to compassion for others. Even if others hold opinions different from our own, can we have compassion for our mutual humanity? The truth is that for the most part, our own views and opinions are an extension of our feelings, our own feelings, and our own experiences. We may develop rational and logical reasons for our beliefs, but deep down, if we're honest, we know that it's really our emotions and our personal experiences that end up truly determining what we believe we need to remember that behind many stated opinions often lie very painful experiences. Even if we disagree with others' interpretations or conclusions about their experience, can we at least have human compassion on whatever it is that may have led them to their opinions? When I think of the people who would be attracted to that hate-filled church, or about that blogger troll, I have to ask, what happened to him? Who hurt them? They must have suffered some significant trauma in their past, and maybe ongoing still, that would lead them to spend all of their time and energy on hate. We need to remember that behind all expressions of anger, all expressions of hate, lies fear. That fear may or may not be rational, but can we not have compassion on the fear? Behind the anger of protesters, regardless of what they're protesting on the streets in a rally, there is genuine fear that they or someone they love might suffer harm or even death if things don't change. There's a genuine fear that our society or our culture is going down a road that will lead to their undoing or perhaps even their destruction. Now, you may not think that fear is justified. You may think it's overblown, but at least acknowledge that they are genuinely afraid and to find some place in your heart to have compassion on your fellow citizens because you also know what it's like to fear for your safety, or perhaps for the safety of your children. I think we would do well to consider former Dallas Police Chief David Brown's observation that he made during one of the funerals for those five police officers. We're asking cops to do too much in this country. Every societal failure, we put it off on cops to solve. Policing was never meant to solve all these problems. I might add, this is also what happens to school teachers as well. But if you want to support our law enforcement, then I suggest we do as the prophet Isaiah implores us. Isaiah proclaimed in the word of the Lord, is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and to not hide yourself from your own kin? In other words, if you really want to support the police, if you really want to back the blue, then work for social justice, work to end violence, work to undermine mass shootings, work to dismantle racism, and work to erase homophobia. Because the more justice that exists in a society, the more equality, the more opportunity, the more quality education, then the easier the job of law enforcement becomes, and the brighter and the better that the community becomes for all of us. And I think this ties in then with the exploration we've been doing of the Holy Spirit this summer as we examine the person of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit connects and relates us to God. Because it is ultimately the Holy Spirit who fosters and enables community, whether in our churches or in our society. The stronger our bonds of community, the more we can establish peace and justice in our society. And this really shouldn't be too surprising, if we think about it. Because the Holy Spirit is, as we like to say in Christian doctrine, one person of a triune God. So God's very nature is one of community. The Trinity is a community. The Trinity is relationship. And if we're created in the image of God, then that must mean that we are created for relationship and that we are made for community. And part of our heritage in being named Trinity United Methodist Church is that our very name reflects the community of love that is the Holy Trinity. In church life, we often refer to our time together in community as fellowship, which is a fine word, but I think it actually sounds rather weak for what Christian community really entails, Because when you say fellowship, what comes to mind are potluck dinners and coffee and donuts on Sunday morning, which I love, by the way. But the concept of Christian fellowship is much more robust. You see, the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means not only to share what we have, but also to share in a common life together. Koinonia is what is described in our passage that Michael read from Acts chapter 2. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And this is what community filled with the Holy Spirit looks like. People together generously sharing time and bread and possessions while experiencing the presence of God all around them. Notice what is absolutely necessary for us to have fellowship koinonia with God, and that's other people, because we cannot come to God by bypassing others. God and your neighbor are a package deal. Because as we also read in 1 John, those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like, the Bible clearly says dot, dot, dot. But there's nothing in the Bible that I think is more clearly said than we need to love God and love our neighbor. And if we don't love our brothers and sisters, then we are liars when we say that we love God. But allowing the Holy Spirit to form us into community comes with some risks. From the perspective of many these days, and I must admit sometimes myself included, our society is becoming more and more fearful, and therefore our society is becoming more and more angry. Because remember that behind all expressions of anger lies fear. And it's hard to let yourself be vulnerable in front of angry people. But vulnerability is exactly what is necessary for community. What helps me to not associate vulnerability with weakness, as we so often do, is to associate vulnerability with courage. To be vulnerable is to be fearless. To be vulnerable is to be strong. To be vulnerable is also to be loving. What we need in our churches and in our society are people filled with the Holy Spirit who are strong and courageous enough to be loving and vulnerable, even in the face of fear and anger and possible violence. Because as we also read in 1 John, God is love, and those who abide in God Uh, And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. When we let the Holy Spirit fill our hearts, our homes, our churches, our society, then fear is released making room for love, and providing a space for true community. And then we're all going to feel less alone. And we'll all be able to experience that joy of fellowship, of koinonia. As Garth sang earlier, what a fellowship. What a joy divine. As one writer put it, hearts that live behind fortresses of fear... Are always alienated hearts. As our hearts loosened, as our hearts loosened, we may be surprised to find who else is there in our community. Because Peter and the disciples sure were. When Peter was sent by the Spirit to the house of a Gentile centurion, Cornelius, to preach the gospel, Peter and the others were astonished to see the Holy Spirit fall upon the Gentiles. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit presides over a community, then that community opens itself up to all the people of God. The Holy Spirit is always working to break down the barriers and to draw that circle ever wider. Like the circumcised believers who are with Peter, we may be astounded with whom the Holy Spirit descends. But as Paul says in his letter to the Galatians, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. In the early church, evidently the free Jewish males were quite surprised to see slaves and Gentiles and women receive the Holy Spirit. But thank God for early leaders like Peter and Paul who worked to open up the church to all people. And we are called to do the same. So don't be surprised As you look around the church to find Democrats and Republicans, gay people and straight people, Americans and immigrants, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, all receiving the Holy Spirit and becoming part of the body of Christ. As the Holy Spirit works to draw that circle ever wider in our churches and in our society, I implore you to join in that great community that is being created As Paul says as he ends his second letter to the Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The Holy Spirit is calling us into sacred community. And I would say what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Amen. And Now receive this benediction. The Holy Spirit is calling you and inviting you to become part of the family of God. So go out this week and draw that circle ever wider until everyone has heard the good news of God's never-ending love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Join us again next Sunday as we continue our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, God on Fire. You can always access our services through our website, TUMCD.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, TUMCD.org. God bless you in the week ahead. And we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.